Hello everyone and welcome to episode two of Fish and Scripts, the front end podcast. Uh, my name's Jack and I'm joined today as always by my glamorous co-host and assistant partner in crime, Mr. Phil Hawksworth. Hello, thank you. That's uh, glam- glamorous and uh, assistant. Uh, I feel very much like Debbie McGee, there's a reference. <laughs> yes, I am, I've forgotten her her partner's name, Paul Daniels. Paul, Paul Daniels. Daniels, there he is. The, the, the person now, right? with the most... <laughs> did you you just follow that up with uh, Paul Daniels he's dead now brilliant Uh, what what a lovely tone to strike Uh, um, Paul Daniels I think had the the least ambitious um, uh, catchphrase uh, you'll like this not a lot Uh, All right, Paul Uh, didn't know he listened to this podcast (laughs) Uh, sorry that was probably quite bad when I pulled in the dead magician bit um (laughs) So on today's episode, we're talking uh, all things from hiring through to Tailwind CSS. We're talking Phil's Achilles and his basketball. Mm. Uh, we're looking at things we all got wrong as junior engineers that we've now come to realise and talking about what we've learned from that. And Phil is putting me to the test in a game naming the year companies were founded. So make yeah. sure you listen right to the end for that and see how badly uh, I do. Let's go. Let's start with our, our regular catch-up, our ketchup. Um, Let's do a it. Dollop, a dollop of ketchup uh, to start the podcast meal. I'm more a mayonnaise person, if I'm honest, actually. Oh, dear. Um, yeah. It doesn't animal. work for the puns. Uh, it's, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you have to really do some uh, linguistic judo to get that to work. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we'll have to stick with, with ketchup. But uh, so let's, let's have our... A regular, a regular catch-up to start uh, to start uh, start us off. Um, what, Mister Franklin, have you been up to? Well, Mister Hawksworth, uh, I have been. I've been playing with a library called Tailwind CSS quite a lot recently. Have you come across this? I, yeah, some, I have. Yeah, I have encountered it a little bit. I haven't haven't used it properly, but I've certainly dabbled around and watched some really interesting podcasts, uh, some videos of of it being used to to interesting effect. So I'm curious to hear how you got on with it. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of similar to you. I haven't used it kind of like a work scale project, uh, but have used it on a couple of very small side projects and really enjoyed it. Uh, it, For those who haven't come across it, Tailwind CSS is like a a utility, I guess you'd call me utility or atomic CSS framework. Um, Utility, I think, where basically you just have loads of classes that apply every, like kind of every individual bit of styling as one-off. So if you want something to have 10 pixels of padding and be red uh, then you apply a class of like py10 or P- p10 and then color red or whatever those aren't the exact class names um the idea being that you don't ever <laughs> yeah there's a reason this i don't make these like this is the readme um, reference that people yeah <laughs> yeah the readme on github is just a link to me describing every class um but <laughs> but uh, yeah, and the idea here is you don't write any CSS yourself. You just lob these classes in, and then you build up this um, your your kind of UI. And I'm really interested by this at work. We use uh, SAS and CSS and CSS modules, and we we put quite a lot of effort into trying to structure it. But it always is just gets. I, I've not found a reliably good way to have CSS that doesn't become very hard to work with over a long period of time as your mm. app grows. Uh, yeah. I'm willing to bet some of that is on me, uh, but. I, that's why I really like the idea of Tailwind or, or similar. I think there's another one called Tachyons, which is very popular. 
Yeah. Uh, I think they're very similar. Yeah. Uh, I really like the idea of just, you just lob classes on elements. And then what happens is you can never accidentally override styling that's applied somewhere else or, or any of those problems. And you just kind of, if someone says, oh, we need a bit more bottom margin on that, you don't have to load up a CSS file and go, oh yeah, about about three pixels looks right. You just go on and, and Tailwind defines all these classes like M1, M2, M3, M4, which go up in like four pixel intervals, or I think might even use Ms. I can't remember, but basically it's just, oh yeah, I'll just go up one level of margin or down one level of margin. Right. Yeah, it's, I find it really, it's an interesting approach because yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I always, you know, it's starting a new project uh, and starting your CSS, however you're writing it, is I think very much like when you move house and you plumb in your new TV. Um, you think this time the cables are going to be perfect. <laughs> they're going to be organized brilliantly. And the first three or four are, it's elegant, it's beautiful. And then you plug in one more thing. It's like, oh, well, that's there's no logical route from here to there without making a mess. And so over time you end up with this hornet's nest. And that's how I feel about CSS. I start off and it's beautiful and it's organized and I'm terrible at organizing and architecting it over time in a way that makes it you know, stay elegant and maintainable. Um, that's why there's so much craft in that to do it properly. And I know there are people with good approaches. So I'm kind of interested by Tailwind CSS because it feels like you spend less time writing CSS and more time making use of the utility classes that have been built for you. But I, I don't know, I'm I'm in a little bit of two minds about what what the result of that is in the HTML, because you do end up with um, very verbose um, kind of classes defined on your HTML elements, right? You end up with you know lots of properties defined. And I don't know, d does that matter? It, it, it kind of feels uh, counter to what I always used to do, but I don't know if it's important. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure either, actually. And I think another thing to bear in mind is the file size of of these things. So if, if you're shipping one of these utility libraries, by default, I guess you're just going to ship the entire utility library, even if you don't use half of what it provides. I'm, I'm sure there are tools to to get around that. Uh, one nice thing that Tailwind does do is it kind of provides so it provides its own uh, post CSS plugin. It's like CSS right. processor. Mm -hmm. And what it lets you do is say, say throughout your site, you've created your button and your button is made up of 10 tailwind utility classes. Mm -hmm. You, in your CSS file, you can create like dot fills button and then use a special tailwind directive called at apply. And you put at apply and then you put all the 10 utility classes and you run that through this processing step. And then uh, you, you can have a button with a class of button that gets those 10 tailwind things applied. So yeah. tailwind kind of provides the tools to let you almost compose these like 10 different styles into one button which means then if you have a button in 20 places across your site you don't have to duplicate a list of 10 yeah uh classes to make that work so so that's yeah, really nice um, that is nice and and even with and the fact that to create this button class you don't have to dive into regular css you can still reference all the tailwind styling uh, right. is, is a very nice touch um so i've been really enjoying it i yeah, I, I'd like to use it on something a bit bigger. I'm actually working on a, a kind of tool to let you use Tailwind interactively in the browser and kind of apply mm. classes on and off and discover them, which uh, may or may not be published in the next six to 24 months. We can hold uh, this podcast back until you're ready to go, and then it'll look like you're just like, yeah, done it, overnight, shipping. Done. Yeah, yeah, yeah let's go for that. Um, okay. I'm trying to get better at actually shipping stuff, so we'll see. But I, yeah, right. I'm really enjoying it so far. Um, the two creators as well... Um, Adam and a guy called Stephen, I think, do yep. this really cool thing where they post a lot of screencasts and videos on online, which I think you mentioned about like how they use it to build and design UIs, which is really interesting. So I'll lob a couple of links like their Twitter and stuff in the show notes. Uh, even if people don't love Tailwind, their videos are really, really good. It's uh, fascinating. So I highly recommend them. 
Yeah, it is really fascinating. I um I think actually that was one of my first times I, I encountered Tailwind. Um, Adam Wathen did uh, uh, one of those videos where he was recreating the UI of the product that I work on. And so uh, he, he kind of teased that he was going to do that. And then he started with, you know, a blank canvas. And he didn't, I don't think he touched any CSS. He just did it all, you know, writing HTML and did it as a live stream. And it was fascinating That's to see cool. the thought process and the way of, oh, well, you know, we can, we've got the utilities to make this. So we can make anything without even touching the CSS. It was kind of fascinating and, uh, and, and kind of rewarding to see how quickly something can come together. So it is definitely an interesting tool. I think you kind of mentioned um, this notion of, when you when you ship when you um, compile it and you sh you ship it you are kind of shipping a the framework. Um, I believe there is like a, a build tool that will that does kind of strip out the unused um, utilities of the unused classes. I think um, so that should help with that a little bit as well. But but yeah, it's definitely an interesting one to check out. I'm uh, I, I want to I want to play a little bit more just just to help me avoid the the lots of cables down the back of the TV situation yeah. that I was getting to. I get the sense as well, if, if you get very familiar with Tailwind, like obviously Adam is having created it, you can be yeah. so quick to put stuff together because you don't, like right now I have to go look at the docs to remember right. stuff. Yeah. He doesn't, right? And so if you use Tailwind a bunch for side projects and spinning up like one page sites, I think Tailwind could be like a really great way of doing that, particularly if you know it enough to be like, okay, I'm going to put this class here, this class here, like job done. And, you know, yeah. Maybe for the fish and script site, we should we should try it. Who, who maybe we knows? should. Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah. it's by the time people listen to this, the fish and script <laughs> site is is gleaming and fabulous and uh, can never be improved on. Uh, but uh, but yeah, maybe that's the route we take to get there. That's a, that's kind of a nice idea. Um, because uh, yeah, that'll, that'll, that'll force us again to, to learn something new. Uh, and actually get something shipped that's a that's a good shout definitely and then we can record another podcast where we reflect on if it was a good or or bad yeah, experience this is, this is opening opening the gates for infinite content infinite content that's what we like um <laughs> great so so phil what, what have you been up to you've got uh you mentioned basketball uh, well so i'm <laughs> i'm very conscious that uh my, so I'm, I'm one of these people who is kind of fortunate in a in a way that the stuff that I really enjoy doing, my, my kind of hobbies around the computer kind of became my job a little bit. You know, I you know, I was always dabbling with building sites a certain way and now I work for a company where I talk about building sites a certain way. So the the days and the evenings can kind of merge together if you're not careful. So I spent a lot of time at my computer years ago when I was at university, and I'm talking about years ago. It's a long time since I was at university. Um, you wouldn't know that to look at me because obviously I'm still youthful and sprightly. Uh, and no comment thank you uh, I'll take that as your agreement um, I used to play a lot of basketball at university and for nearly 20 years I've played no basketball I you know I, I joined a club when I after I graduated uh, and I'd go and try and play in the evening after work and I was I just didn't have the energy or the commitment to stay doing it so I just let that fall by the wayside so I don't do very much that's very active it's uh, I think it's a kind of a common thing for people in the web development world I know people are into climbing and doing other bits and pieces and there's lots of kind of mental and physical workouts I wanted to try and get away from the computer a little bit because I actually think that's really important as well um, I, I do a lot of my good thinking away from a computer uh, and uh, and and so you know I, I decided I'd go back to basketball so I've done that and I'm two weeks in now and I can almost walk back up the stairs uh, and that's not to say that for the last 20 years I haven't had the fitness to get up the stairs I was doing fine with stairs until I started playing basketball and now I've discovered that my Achilles tendons are, are made of 
some kind of I don't know wood, some kind of teak. I think They're, I've got no flexibility flexibility at all. It's it's really quite awful. Um, so yeah, it's it's been great for my mind, but my body is saying, "What are you What are you doing? What do you want to do? You think you're doing?" Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. It turns out that um, if you let uh, a, a decade or two pass, um, your body changes. Uh, I'm I'm heavier and weaker than I used to be, which is obviously prime uh, athletic kind of makeup. Um, but actually, I'm finding it really positive. I'm getting home from it exhausted, uh, but mentally kind of refreshed. So um, I don't know. It's a very different thing to what I've been doing uh, for the for the last few years. But I think it's a positive thing. Do you, I mean, do you do much, Jack, to kind of get the blood pumping away from the com- computer? That sounded sinister, didn't it? I'm sorry. Very sinister. Uh, yes, I do. Um, so I had one year a few years ago where I was uh, writing a book and basically let my health physically and mentally just completely decline it was a right. very bad year for a number yeah. of reasons um right. and ever since then then i sort of sort of then got on the kind of fitness bandwagon actually lost a fair amount of weight got healthy and then let it slide again and have picked it up in the last year or so um so i i play badminton as my sport of choice Ooh. actually um Interesting. so i play that a few times a week and uh try and squeeze in a run or a, a gym or two as, as well so I, I, yeah i try and do quite a lot and Honestly, it just makes such a difference to like my my state. Uh, but yeah. I think the thing that I've made mistake before is I don't realize how much impact it makes until I stop doing it. Yeah. And then without realizing, you're just sort of like slobbing yourself around the house. And um, so yeah, for me, it's I can not do exercise in some form and just get away from the computer. Uh, and so I, I love the feeling of like ending a game of basketball, badminton, football, whatever, or gym, and just feeling like absolutely exhausted, but kind of refreshed at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it's um, a good tired. Yeah, good tired. And that whenever I can't be bothered to like go on a run, that's the, the how I try and motivate myself. Like think how good I'm going to feel when I get back. Yeah, yeah. A friend of me t- yeah. told me that you never regret having gone for the run. Um, mm. It's the the pain is beforehand, like the, uh, the kind yeah of the, the challenges beforehand. And I, I, I get that. But yeah, I... I've tried to do some running recently because uh, it's an easier thing to do if you travel um, to keep that up, which, you know, you can throw some yeah. shoes in your bag and off you go. But I'm rubbish at running, uh, both like physically and also motivationally. I need to have a sport, like a game to play to, to do it, which <laughs> is why, you know, that's why um, I'm going back to basketball. But yeah, I, I definitely find that it helps kind of um, get my, my like mentally get my cogs turning a little bit better. Um, just some proper time away rather than just you know, that kind of habit of, well, I'll open a browser and start, you know, noodling through Twitter and seeing what people are talking about and read a bunch of stuff. You know, that's that's important as well. But um, but yeah, the time away has been good. So so yeah, that's that's one of the things that's keeping me uh, starting Great. to keep me a bit more occupied. The, aside from the fact that when I leave the basketball court, I walk home you know, a bit like a gingerbread man because none of the joints <laughs> are moving by the time I've stopped. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's not, I don't look in my prime, but that's fine. <laughs> We'll have a section on Phil's Achilles every week. <laughs> yeah. See, yeah. see how we go. Yeah, little update for yeah. you. Yeah, little update. Yeah, that'll, that'll get keep a Twitter account coming. actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, bless you for thinking that my uh, Achilles tendons don't each have their own Twitter account already. Oh, each as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're very right, independent. Okay. They're very different. Yeah. Yeah. Are they written in Angular JS? Oh, that was a bad jam. So no. no. We can cut that. We can no, cut we won't. That. No, we 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 need the world to know. Just exactly what you're like. All right, enough, uh, enough, enough of that tosh. Uh, I, I think should we, move, should we move on? Should we move on to our next section? 
Let's do it. Yeah. Catch of the day. Catch of the day. What are we what are we talking about here, Jack? We're going to be talking about misconceptions that we may have had when we started programming. Uh, so this was entirely motivated by a really, really good blog post by Monica Lentz, who's a developer, I think, based in Berlin. Uh, the link to this blog post will be in the notes, uh, titled um, Absolute Truths I Unlearned as a Junior Developer. Uh, kind of talking about lots of stuff that she kind of basically got wrong at the beginning of her career. And that's not to criticize her because I think all of us do it. I think literally yeah. everyone has probably made these these same mistakes. Right. Uh, and then I shamelessly stole this idea for a blog post and, and wrote up a few of my own as well mm-hmm. because I'm nothing if not shameless. And so I just thought it'd be an interesting chat kind of comparing, you know, where we are now in our and what we know about the industry now that we didn't when we when we first started. Um, yeah. Things we got wrong and made mistakes and, and how we look back on that. And uh, kind of reflect. I thought might be quite interesting to to talk about and kind of compare notes on. Great. So what's so what's the thrust of this then? What so what was her kind of main? Did you have a main takeaway, or is there um, particular things that kind of rung true for you that you you identified with? I, I think for me, I was very happy to see. This sounds silly, but that, that I wasn't the only one who made these mistakes. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's also a really important thing to remember that it's not bad that these mistakes were made or that you misunderstood or had misconceptions about how something works and that's part of kind of growing as as a person and as a uh, developer as well mm-hmm. um and i think it was it's also quite good to as i'm now approaching the stage where hopefully the company i work for we're gonna be hiring some more junior developers mm-hmm. who will kind of be working with and it's good to like remind yourself what it's like to be at that stage of of your career and kind of empathize with that and remember mm-hmm. that these people are very new to it and and coming out so yeah i i really enjoyed reading a post that was so relatable as well it's a nice yeah. thing at times just really be like yeah I, t- I totally get all of this um which was nice so it's really good i highly recommend reading it um properly as well and i love the first point which is so true to me this is going to sound so egotistical <laughs> uh but the first absolute truth that monica unlearned as a junior developer was uh, i'm a senior developer so it talks about like coming out of of um of school, university, and say like, well, I've I've got four years experience writing PHP yeah. or, or whatever. It's like, well, yeah. you've got four years, you know, at home writing hobby PHP things right. and learning it. Like, it's not quite the same. Um, and I I totally did this. I left uni. I was like, yeah, I've been doing JavaScript for years. I've got my PHP blog down. I can write <laughs> SQL queries. Like, I shouldn't be a junior developer. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe I thought that looking back. Um, but it's. It was, it was it was quite interesting to to think about that and that's, you know that's how funny because I'm I, I'm uh, I don't relate to that massively but maybe and this isn't me being humble I I really don't I really felt like I had so much to learn in my first job um, by the and I I think that might be down to the fact that I didn't really do any any real web development things at all as part of my computer science degree. Because because it was so very very long ago, uh, <laughs> it's, it was uh, you know the, any of the things that I did to, about to do with web technologies were things that I'd done on the side uh, and like I'd kind of self taught a little bit. So I think I entered my first job thinking I just do not know anything, and I you know I I, I felt like I had to try and struggle not to be found out in my first job. Um, <laughs> but I think I think it's kind of slightly different because um you know if people are leaving university or or arriving at a job where they've done like just just a few years of of making things with some technology maybe maybe there is a feeling of oh i 
I know this pretty well now, so I'm 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 ready to take on more responsibility and you know ha- having that kind of confidence in in your own skills. It's it's a it's an interesting one because I think it's important to have confidence and it's important to feel valuable, um, but offsetting that with an appreciation of still got lots to learn is I don't know it's an it's an interesting line to walk, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. And I don't I don't think I was uh, arrogant. I think what happened is, is I I knew I had a bunch to learn, but I thought that the uh, you know the the four or five years of university and coding in my spare time kind of already put me at this this place. Maybe oh I shouldn't be getting a job as a junior developer. I should be at least a a developer or even a senior developer, which is right. not true. I think it's it's realizing that you can have five years of experience, but if that is five years on your own at university or wherever that's very different to two years in a startup in an engineering team full of people who've been doing it way longer than you uh, and yeah. i think monica kind of after each point monica kind of writes what it's like the title is what i eventually learned and her yeah. three from this are like not all experience is created equal uh you know experience coding in bedroom working as a student is valuable but then it's not the same uh and early in your career you can learn 10 times more in a supportive team in in one year than you can on your own in five years which i totally. agree with and then yeah. talks about like mentoring and, and finding if you are coming out of university looking for a job finding a team where you'll be supported have that kind of support group around you and also like not to worry about job titles and you know she i think she seems so excited to get that senior engineer job like yeah at the age i think she says at 24 which is amazing and i would have been too but actually like the the team and what you're going into is far more important um which I think is really interesting. Uh, certainly for me, like universities really pushed for like job titles when we're mm. doing like careers fairs and stuff. And actually that's way less important. Than, yeah. Than people it's, think. A, it's a weird thing. I, I, cause I, I definitely relate to this as well. And you know, the feeling of um, progressing through job, job titles, it, it feels like, you know, I'm making progress. This is, this is an acknowledgement that I'm progressing as a professional, as an individual, all those kind of things. And I, I think, um, I don't know. After a long time, it feels like it becomes less important, or feels less important. I don't know. Maybe this is a personal thing. Um, I I feel less concerned with that now than I than for me. I'm much more interested in um, the feeling of being um, valuable and appreciated in my role and in the in the surroundings I'm in. But maybe that's just something that that happens over time because um, you know I'm. I'm less concerned now about a about a job title. Uh, that's that said, I still I still want the word deity on my uh, on my business yeah. card. Yeah, JavaScript yeah. deity. Um, this ninja nonsense is that is nonsense. None, none of that. But deity, I'm I'm there for that. Uh, overlord, uh, something. I have right dictator now. on mine. So, oh, nice. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but uh, that's that's, that's just purely because that's the way that you write your code, right? You 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 speak it into a dictaphone and then you send it away somewhere to be typed up, and then when it comes yes. back, you you see if it yeah. worked. Yeah, I'm I'm a senior developer, so I don't I don't type my own lines <laughs> of code. <laughs> you sit I have there, a scribe. With, right? Yeah, you you sit there with your cocktail cabinet, smoking yeah. what I can imagine is a, a long exotic cigarette. Um, yeah, uh, and uh, with your feet up on the desk, dictating your your JavaScript. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much spot on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Optimized development pipeline. I love it. <laughs> so, what, what is if there's another kind of thing that you looking back on and had completely misunderstood or something very unexpected when you kind of fell in, or not fell in when you came into programming 
like what would it be is there something that springs to mind um i don't know i i think i think one of the things um i learned quickly was that um i was i was working in an environment where we we were discovering how to do things a bit together uh, i was you know i was hoping that i would arrive somewhere and people would have all of the answers um which is i think that's part and parcel of you know maybe not having the confidence when i arrived that maybe some some other people did um i did very poorly in my computer science degree i scraped through by my the skin of my teeth um but that but that's okay because uh because you know i found myself working in a company that that was doing um putting they're putting numbers on screens for traders to trade off um so it's like working with the stock exchange and like big banks and that kind of stuff um there was no uh uh, there were no web sockets. There was no long polling. There was no Ajax. Um, it was basically steam powered, uh, so it was it was difficult. Um, but uh, the thing that that I found really interesting and was it was kind of a surprise to me is that we would we I was working somewhere that where we were um, figuring out how to solve problems that maybe hadn't been solved before. And I think that happens in lots of places. You know, you it's not always about well this is a there's a a well understood way of building these things and off we go and build them because. I think we work in an industry where we keep on like moving the goalposts isn't the right thing to say but we, it's always evolving right so there are new frameworks technologies approaches creeping in all the time and it's not always the case that the people you're working with are experts at it often we're discovering our way and we make mistakes along the way and i think that's that's an important thing to appreciate and kind of embrace it's like we're, we're not going to get it perfect every time um and just being willing to recognize that and then make changes and fix things is i think that's just part and parcel of of software engineering and we you know we kind of have to accept it unless unless we're working on like life support machines and putting people on the moon which uh, i haven't done yet no not yet no not yet still a chance although, although yeah. the first the first programming language I, I i worked on uh formally you know as part of my uh my university education was ada um, I don't know if you've encountered Ada. They they taught us that because it was it was said to in, to include lots of very good fundamentals, lots of principles that you could then apply to other things. Um, but in industry, the only place it's really used is in missile guidance systems. Uh, so sweet. That's uh, that, that's exactly that, that opened all the doors I was really hoping it would open. I've done nothing along those lines. And now you deploy static based websites to the internet. Oh, yeah. Damn yeah. Right. Damn right, yeah. I do. Yeah. Often and regularly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I I really like the point you make about like we're all working it, working through or trying to figure this out together, and like the moving the goalposts. It's more like moving the football pitch, not the goalposts, <laughs> I guess. Right. Because um, I remember working with like a senior engineer, and and they just didn't know this the solution to whatever we were trying to. They were like, "Well, I'm actually, not sure if we should do this or that." And I remember thinking, like, "Well, you should know because you're a." senior engineer you've been working way longer than me it's like no yeah. no like you more experienced and better engineers aren't better because they just know stuff they're better because they're very good at figuring out which of these two or three options are the best one um mm -hmm. and, and making those trade-offs in fact my blog post i think i end by saying like it's all about trade-offs software development is pure trade-offs for me and when you're senior that just means that you're better at making those trade-offs rather than you know you're not necessarily better at writing lines of javascript uh, but you're you're better at getting the bigger picture and understanding kind of how solution A might backfire versus how solution B or which one's going to impact you in a year's time, that that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And yeah, no one knows everything. And and most of software bases, it depends. 
and that's really exciting that's really good yeah. but it can also be incredibly frustrating uh, at times <laughs> yeah it's, it's uh it, I, I kind of like the fact that you just have to embrace um you know this issue of it's, it's it does depend you know there's no one answer there's there's dozens of ways you could solve things um and i think that's where the, some of the kind of satisfaction and some of the elegance comes from it's like well trying to find an elegant solution or um in fact this is leading us into der- dangerous territory talking about an elegant solution or the optimal solution just sometimes you need a solution it doesn't need to be perfect it just needs to work um i think there's a tendency for us to want to over optimize as early as possible because you know we've got this goal of getting something perfect um but uh but sometimes good enough is is good enough uh <laughs> that that yeah. makes me sound like i've got wonderful standards but uh, but no i think that's a really important point you know i mean you know the industry talks about you know mvps you know a minimum viable product and uh um, i mentioned this a little while ago actually so i, I went to a, a i saw a conference talk a few years ago uh, in oxford and I wish I could remember the name of the speaker, but uh, it doesn't matter. For we should, I would have changed the name anyway to protect the innocent. But uh, this speaker was talking about MVP and he was talking about uh, MVPs being like the enemy of excellence and saying, well, you know, that's there is a real problem. I I don't want to have things that are a minimum viable product. I want something that's got quality, uh, and and is really like setting the two things at odds. And that that really bothered me. He 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 talked about. Um, a minimum viable parachute he said i wouldn't i wouldn't use a minimum viable parachute and i thought about that and i thought i absolutely would that's the exact perfect case of when i when this is important if the choice is between there being a parachute but it doesn't have the right branding it hasn't been through all the safety checks that you want it to go through but it's either present or it's absent at the point that you need a parachute i'll take the parachute that exists rather than one that's coming in a few weeks um in the the breathable uh perfect uh, comfortable harness um i want the one that's going to save my life today and uh, so it's it kind of really interesting that he, he used the point against himself a, a little bit but um how did we get here i'm sorry i've taken us away on a massive tangent but yeah sometimes the perfect is the enemy of the good um and uh and and so i i think that's a, an important thing to kind of acknowledge as you're as you're getting into to building stuff yeah and also like that Every, so the first company I joined like from the outside it was a great company I really enjoyed working there but I was I remember being so surprised that we had like technical debt and legacy code and mm. kind of some of the not perfect bad stuff or like oh yeah this was an MVP we built but it ends up we had to deploy it as our main thing and now it's a bit messy and I was so shocked that a company had so much legacy code until mm. then I've, I've since worked for a few companies and all of them have had have had this right. code um, you know there is there is no such thing as a company I don't think that doesn't have any of, of this stuff and actually yeah. getting good at working with that code base not in terms of literally the lines of legacy code but trading off like okay when do we rebuild this legacy stuff versus just put up with it for a bit versus prioritize fixing it or, or so on is a really important skill as well and and just one that I didn't really expect I'd ever have to to, to pick up um yeah. I kind of thought oh I'm joining this cool startup they do lots of cool tech the engineering team is great uh and but it's still not true like the best engineering teams in the world definitely have technical debt uh and and stuff of that nature yeah and and i i um i i think in my one of my first jobs when i was doing any kind of management or kind of like leading leading a team um i found myself getting obsessed with technical debt because um i was working at an agency and we we very rarely had time to ever address that um it was always like on to the next thing and you know 
build on top of what you had before and off you know keep keep on moving forward and i would often try and address technical debt and say look if this is crippling us this is a real problem and so i would i, I became a little bit obsessed with technical debt but i think in your post you you're arguing that 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 some technical debt is okay and it's to be expected yeah i i think for me the big thing in technical debt is where it exists in the system uh, so i did a talk about like migrating software a couple of years ago and, and i kind of focused on the, on this topic if you've got two bits of technical debt one of them is in this tiny bit of your app that 10 users a day interact with and it doesn't cause bugs it's just not very nice code that's kind of fine if you've got technical debt in your checkout flow that causes one in 50 payments to fail uh, and is code that makes the checkout experience impossible to change because the code is so bad like that's really bad and, and that should be fixed but when I when I first came across technical debt as you know a, a junior developer I was like well we've got to fix all of this this is all dreadful it's all going to be perfect and actually I, um, companies are all about prioritization like software in particular is just prioritizing what we do and don't work on and that bit of technical debt that's not bothering anyone that's sort of sat in the corner like that's fine we can just leave that but it, it took me a while to learn that uh, and I only really learned it by I spent like a week refactoring this this code and I ended up with what I thought was the most beautifully architected piece of code in the world. It certainly wasn't. Uh, but then no, no, literally no one on the company touched it for like eight months just because we were never working on that part of the, the <laughs> system. And so it was like I could imagine if I had spent that week starting to rebuild some of the checkout where we had bad issues. Right. I, it would have been so much more impactful. So, uh, you know, thinking of technical debt as more than just the bad code for me is like the big learning that I've had. It's a really good point. I like it. Um, cool. So I think both of these, so both of these articles, you know, so even yours, uh, I, I, there's all kinds of good stuff in here. I want to absorb them in a bit more detail. Um, we have to make sure that we share these in our, in our show notes at the end of the, at the end of the episode. Definitely. Do you want to move on to some highlights? Um, sure. Yeah, let's do that. Um, so, uh, I, can I reference something first that you're you're going to roll your eyes at? Um, Always, it's happening. So uh, so brace yourself. So um, I, I kind of talk about uh, as you've already mentioned, kind of building things as, as static sites, deploying things as static sites. There is there's the eye roll. Um, it's good. I'll I'll narrate your eye roll so that, uh, that anyone listening uh, can can know when to roll their eyes also. Um, uh, but, uh, but so yeah, this notion of kind of Jamstack as a, an architecture, I've been kind of talking about for such a long time. And uh, uh, just recently, uh, Chris Coyer published a blog post on um, on CSS tricks, uh, talking about Jamstack with a fairly provocative title. I thought for someone yeah, like me, yes. <laughs> Jamstack more like Shamstack. Uh, and I think the only thing missing from that is, am I right? Uh, but uh, but it, it's actually a really good article. Uh, once I kind of got back from reeling from the title where I thought he was going to pull it apart. Uh, but actually, the, the thrust of it was um, he was talking about, uh, and for people who don't know, Jamstack is JavaScript APIs and markup. Um, that's what the Jam stands for. Um, but it's effectively a way of kind of like deploying sites uh, statically and then kind of embellishing it with JavaScript and calls to APIs, that kind of thing. Um, we won't turn this into a Jamstack podcast um, as much as I'd try. Uh, there's another eye roll. Uh, there it is again uh, <laughs> for the listeners. Um, but yeah, Chris Coyer um, was talking about that, and when he was talking about um, when he mentioned Shamstack, he's actually talking about statically hosted and markup. So he he kind of got right onto what I think is the the crux of it, which is the power in this stack doesn't so much come from JavaScript, even though J is right there up front in the acronym. Um, it's more about the power that comes from 
being able to host things statically, um, which seems kind of counterintuitive. You know, I think, you know, we, we strive for things to be as dynamic as possible because dynamic automatically sounds better than static, you know, because it's, you know, they're, they're, it's just loaded terms. But, um, but yeah, in, his, in this post that, uh, that Chris wrote, he, he kind of talks about some of the virtues of things being hosted statically. Um, and so that, that warmed us to the special place in my heart because I've been trying to <laughs> convince people of this for such a long time. But anyway, it's, a, it's an interesting article. Um, I think he, uh, as ever, articulates some arguments really nicely. Um, and although he scared me a little bit to start off with with the title, um, it, it made me feel good to read it. So um, that's definitely something that was a bit of a highlight for me. I'll uh, pop that one, pop that one into the uh, into the the, the basket, uh, the show notes. I don't know. We we need some kind of reference for fish and scripts to come here. I don't know the condiments holder. No, I don't know. That's bad. The good, the newspaper wrap wrap up wrapping. I'll wrap it freshly that's and ready. Freshly to, wrapped, the salt and vinegar. I don't. Know. There's something. We'll we'll have a think. Maybe off air. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, Specifically <laughs> off air. Um, anyway, that's that's that, my highlight. What about what about yourself? Uh, so I well, I was actually going to say I just read that article earlier when you you shared it with me and um, yeah, really liked it. I actually, think I'll be honest i had no idea what the Jamstack was for quite a while uh, i knew that i could statically host websites i did that i do that with a few sites my own blog but i didn't really get where the, the jam was coming from so to speak yep. uh, and i think that article is actually a really good way of clearing it up uh, is way less provocative than the title might suggest in such yeah. a yeah i think because we're in such a like clickbaity era on the internet i see a title like that and like oh but actually Ooh, it's, it's a great post uh, so i highly recommend it um my shameless self-highlight, if you're talking about Jamstack, I'm going to talk about mm. something I'd be doing at work, at work which is uh, talk, thinking about more hiring. So the last year we've been hiring. Uh, we have hired someone and soon we'll hopefully be hiring more. And don't worry, I will definitely be talking more about that when we are hiring, um, shamelessly. Uh, I wrote a blog post recently talking about the whole interview process that, that you would go through if, if you were to apply to, to work at Thread as a front engineer. And it's been actually really refreshing for me to spend a bunch of time over the last year stepping back from code and thinking more about like hiring and and kind of building a team and, and that side of things it's been really interesting thing about like interview processes how you make sure they're fair for everyone you know you're mm. not biasing mm. towards one group of person or away from another mm -hmm. uh and it's been very interesting to sit back and reflect on it and and write it all down so i i will share the link to the blog post we kind of very transparently wrote up our whole process which we hope will help people who are coming in to, to apply to work for us but i also basically want to give a shout out if, if anyone is doing similar at their companies i would absolutely love to chat and kind of compare notes and see i'm sure we're doing things that aren't as good as other companies and maybe vice versa so i'm basically doing a shameless self-highlight and a shameless call for people to ping me because i'd love to chat more about this and how we can kind of improve hiring because it's such an important topic and it, it's like we're talking earlier with those those blog posts about being a junior engineer like the the team you you are in is the most important thing uh, and so how we build like the best team full of loads of great people from a whole variety of backgrounds is is really important and so i've been enjoying yeah. it's a very challenging thing to get stuck into but i've been enjoying doing that yeah it, it really is tough i mean mm. we're going through some similar things where i work as well you know we're growing quite quickly and um recruiting is time consuming and difficult and demanding and so important you know it's uh it defines the shape of the company you know in the in the coming months and years so 
Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I relate to this very, very closely. Um, our own uh, recruitment process is evolving you know, fairly rapidly, and you know we're trying to recruit people to help us evolve the recruitment process. You know, it's it's kind of a bit inception-like in that way. Um, but I think every company goes through it, and um, there's there's so much to take into take into consideration. It's such such an important thing. So, um, so yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I'm curious to see how that discussion goes myself. Mm. I'm really looking forward to seeing if because we will the next time someone is coming here for an interview, we will send them this blog post and be like, we've actually written up like, exactly what you can expect from the day, uh, and we get the more information that we would wouldn't share publicly. But we're, our hope is that this will help people. Uh, apply and understand a bit more about what will happen when they apply and, and ask us any questions um, but we'll see I'm sure we'll evolve it over time yeah do you do things like technical exercises or I mean I mean I'm not talking about like the uh, like the the infamous whiteboard tests but do you I mean do you do kind of pairing or exercises or takeaway tests or anything like that how do you how do you approach yeah. that so we do a remote test first after kind of initial chat um which is based on like real world code. So you actually consume our API and you, you put right. some React stuff on the, the screen. Uh, and then, yeah, in person we do, it, I'm going to say whiteboard test, but hold your horses, don't don't shout. It's uh, <laughs> There's no code on the whiteboard. It's more like a product design kind of um, yeah. chat, very informal, people around a whiteboard scribbling stuff, no, no code. And yeah. then, yeah, we do do pairing as well. Um, but, but trying to make that pairing as, we're basically trying to make the interview feel not like an interview. And the sessions are genuinely modeled around how we do work. So if, if I'm struggling with some technical thing, I will say like, hey, Phil, do you want to grab a whiteboard and just like hear me out for a minute? Yeah. Obviously, interviews are always going to be interviews. You, you can't unfortunately get away from that. But we're, we're talking about how, how can we make them as less like an interview, unintimidating, as comfortable for the candidate as possible. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's very small things that you can do. Like we used to schedule our interviews back to back. We now put a five, 10 minute break in between just so that the person is very happy to like, oh, would you mind if I grab a cup of tea or go outside for a few minutes or go to the bathroom? We're not like cramming them them in. Yeah. Um, you know, through to bigger things like how do we make the pairing as unintimidating as possible? Like, would they rather the other person type? Would they like to type? Do they bring their own laptop? Do they use ours? All this stuff uh, is it, hard and yeah. every person has different preferences. So we're trying to create a flexible process where we can adapt it to the individual. But yeah, it's it's challenging. Uh, yeah. There's a lot to, to delve into there. But our goal is basically create a day of interviews or le less than a day, a few hours of interviews that give you as the candidate the best chance to show us everything you've got. Yeah, um, I, th I think that's I think that's so key. It's you, you want you're not trying to trap or trick the uh, a candidate into revealing mistakes. So I, th I think the closer yeah. it can be to this is what a day of work here is like the the better it is i think from from both sides i think um because you know as the as the company trying to trying to grow you want to be confident that the people who are joining are people you will be able to work with it's not just about what what do they know it's also how do they learn how do they work and so knowing that you'll be able to spend you know hours and hours together working through difficult problems um just interacting and you know being humans is a really important aspect and you yeah. know from from both sides that's that's so important so i think uh and as much as possible being able to um emulate what like the process of working at a place will be like um the more informed both parties are i think so yeah it's 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 interesting to hear like different different approaches to it definitely i'd love to do like maybe we should do a full show and and focus in more on on like hiring and compare because i think there's so much to to uncover there 
totally. Um, totally. It's such an interesting area as well. I think we should move on to a game. Are you up for a game? I yeah. I you know I don't love that I've been ousted as game host after just one episode. Well, I mean, I'm willing it's to, fine. Yeah. I mean, what we could do is, so, I mean, I've put together a game because I enjoyed um, <laughs> Frame When so much last time. Uh, and by the by, do, I I think I really excelled. I mean, I don't. I'm not someone to blow his own trumpet, but I mean, I was awesome. That's that's that silence is is something I'll edit out because uh, it makes it seem like you don't agree. But I I was I was staggeringly good last time you were surprisingly good yeah uh, <laughs> and i was disappointed to be honest partly because well i i actually wasn't disappointed because i felt you'd set a very high bar for future games which i think is bad for you but uh <laughs> it, 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 it's really it's backfired on me because now you're asking me the questions and uh there's no way i'm gonna get do as well as you um no i mean that, i mean you should you should always be prepared for not doing as well as me. Um, that's you that's also important. cheated and used LinkedIn to look at. I did. That, I, so I did. And, there was uh, that, and there were a couple of times where that was a massive help. So I did feel like mm. a bit of a fraud um, looking at my own my own uh, timeline to help me. Um, but nonetheless, um, I've put something to. I don't have a title for this. This is this is like a running theme for the this entire podcast. The number of times we say we'll workshop that, we'll come up with a name for it. Um, so. So last time, frame when you were asking me, you know, to to recall the year. In fact, you challenged me to the month, which was never going to happen. Uh, <laughs> the the year that particular popular frameworks were introduced. Um, building on that theme, I thought uh, I would uh, look at when large technology companies were founded, and see wh- how close to the center of the dartboard you could you could throw for that. Um, and so I've I've got a little selection here. Um, are, you, are you willing to give it a go? I mean, if you'd like, you can have your LinkedIn profile, uh, and, unless you worked at any of these places or founded them yourselves, it might it might um, not help you. Yeah, I, so I don't have a LinkedIn profile. Um, I'm I'm concerned. I would like to agree that if I get less than two out of however many, we'll just edit out this whole game, and no one will ever know that there was a game. That's, It'll that's, be that's, just that's we'll just idea. we'll have uh, just a few minutes of of utter like deafening silence uh, in its place. Uh, maybe or the, the sound of wind y- going past a microphone. <laughs> you, you, or you you say with the company, and then I'll leave silence, and I'll come back and I'll edit the year in. Later. However you want, however you feel comfortable. Um, but I I I think I think you might do better than you you'd expect. Right. Although that said, uh, when I was looking these up, I was like, really? That surprises me. Um, okay, let's come let's on. Start, hit me. Let's let's start uh, with one that is probably. Um, one that you might do not too badly on. So let's. When was Twitter founded? Uh. And I have the month and the year. I'm not interested in the month. Give me, give that's, me that's the good. year. So when did I first? Start? I actually had my 10 year Twitter anniversary reasonably recently. Well, uh, I think that, that might be 2018. So therefore, it's definitely pre two thousand eight because I wasn't a super early adopter. I'd say I was reasonably early, but not mega early. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember like I used to get used to be able to text Twitter to tweet something. Yes, yeah, um, that was that was the kind of key. It was built on on top of SMS yeah. technology. That was the whole point. Um, so when was that? It was before university. In fact, it must be ten years ago. Two thousand and six. 
Mr. Franklin, you absolutely nailed it. 2006. Have March I? 2006. So, Ooh, good deduction. I just said March. Yeah. We st- but we, we started you off easy. That's that's fine. Yeah, that uh, was but easy. Th- that's not to that's not to diminish the uh, the achievement. Um, th- by the I... way, that that um, the fact that you could uh, SMS uh, your tweets that was dangerous. I I did from time to time uh, tweet um, uh, heading home, need milk, love and hugs, <laughs> XOXO. Um, <laughs> did did that more than once. I'm, I'm yeah, sorry you, you still do, and I wish you just text <laughs> me directly now. <laughs> that that'll happen. Um, all right, let's move on. Uh, how about something uh, something that was always close to my heart, uh, which I use less now? Flickr. Were you a Flickr user? No, not really. I've I've never been a big photographer. It's not a thing I do. Uh, I actually had a okay. very embarrassing experience in San Francisco with photography, where a tourist. Cool kind of stopped and asked me to take a picture of them behind the Golden Gate Bridge. I was like, oh yeah, sure. Took the picture, started walking, turned around, saw the tourists look at their phone, uh, clearly recognised that it was a shocking picture and immediately asked the next person who walked past <laughs> to take another picture whilst I was 10 metres down the road from them. So, Excellent. Uh, Were they that, pointing that and laughing at you? Did they, yeah. They that, sorry, yeah, this, this it, guy took what he thought was a decent picture and he missed both shocking, of us absolutely shocking. the bridge. Yeah. Yeah, just took a picture of the ground. Um, so no, so photography and Flickr has never rebooted my thing. I th- well, this is be a I'm quite pleased I got Twitter because I think that's a good anchoring point. It is a good so, anchoring point, but that that don't let's not get obsessed with the successes of the past. Um, <laughs> you need to you need to keep forging on. Uh, I think Flickr is pre Twitter. I reckon. Yeah. yeah um, I think that's. But fair. not by that many years. So. 2003 oh he's so close 2004 Is it four? These, are, these are yeah oh. these are good guesses these are good guesses i i like it um yeah 2004 and i i was such a big flicker user and less and less so these days which kind of saddens me a tiny is, bit is but. it this is bad i even have to ask is it still online is it, still it is thing? yeah it's still online but you know it's it, their model changed a little bit and of course they, it competes so much with things like instagram which is more kind of immediate, but of course the quality of the photos that get stored are so much poorer. Um, we can we could do a whole memorial uh, uh, episode another time, but uh, but let's, let's let's see let's 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 press on. I think you're doing you're you're giving a much better account of yourself than you were expecting. Um, yeah. How how about something which is very familiar to us? How about Google? When was Google founded? Oh. Well, that's certainly pre two thousands. It's definitely in the nineties, I reckon. Um, when was Google founded? I think that's that's. I think Google's really old. Um, I want to say like ninety, ninety three, ninety four. Is that too old? Is it a bit later? Ninety four. Ninety four. You're in for. You're, you're not a million miles away. It's ninety seven. Oh, no. So it's a little bit more oh, than that. Right. But still, yeah, okay. it, in uh, internet terms, it is. Uh, in the uh, Jurassic period, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a while ago. Ninety-seven. Um, okay, that's that's not too bad. That's annoying. Um, I should have been close. Let, let's let's, let's stay uh, in the search engine oh, no. and portal world. How about something which, of course, is very dear to my heart? Um, how about Ask Jeeves? Oh, I knew you were <laughs> going to say that, and I had no idea. Um, I mean, Jeeves. the fact the fact that it used to be branded up with a butler holding us like a silver tray with a silver <laughs> cloche on it which is of course how we all want to receive our search results um that should surely date it mind you it's going to date it back to like the victorian times which is not quite right 
Yeah, it must have been close to when you were born. Um, <laughs> hey. Hey. Uh, is that before Google, asked Jeeves? I think it might be. Uh, which is funny. I think I always think of Google as the first, but I don't think it was. Oh, no, absolutely. Not. Um, so, and also the Butler thing probably pushes it back. Yeah. Um, I refuse to believe it wasn't in the nineties, though. So okay. I might go ninety. Oh, uh, ninety-three. No, you're you're going too far back. It's only ninety-six. Too far? Yeah, oh. it's, a, it's, a, it's only a year before Google, apparently. Oh, yeah. But uh, wow, what a lot changed in that year. Okay, I'll, we'll do one more, and then we'll put you out of your misery. Okay, excellent. Um, so I'm so on the, one at the moment. One out of four. Out of oh four. no, but um, it's it's not. I'm not going to say you have to hit the year right on. I just want to see how far you're going to embarrass yourself. Right. Um, yeah, fine. So so on on that um, slightly different shape technology company. How about Apple? When was Apple founded? I think I know this. Uh, oh, I think it's definitely seventies. And it's because Apple and Microsoft were very close to each other, and I can always remember the two. I think seventy-seven was Apple, or was it seventy-nine? You're very close. It's it's actually nineteen seventy-six. Ah, one off. Uh, April the first, nineteen seventy-six. That's the only one. April Fool's Day. Yeah, April Fool's Day. Uh, But you, you, I, I, uh, I think you can be very proud of yourself. Um, You've given a good. That was better than I thought. Yeah, I mean, uh-huh. Ask Jeeves. Ask Jeeves was an absolute shit show. Um, I'm, I mean, you've really, you've really embarrassed yourself there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but I would have taken That's it. Fair. I think it's only your your excellence in every other um, uh, answer that really made Ask Jeeves stand out. Um, I I think but, Google was poor as well. I, I think I I clearly have a misconception of the nineties and. Went, yeah, well, I mean, you were only born in, you're only 16 years old, of course. So, uh, well, so. I, I won't tell you which year I was born. Um, just uh, no, don't, don't want to. I'll, I'll be rage quitting if you do that. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, you've done you've done very well. You've given them a great account of yourself. I think Thanks, um, next week, uh, next time, uh, we'll uh, we'll put you back in control, uh, and uh, and and then I can be the one to squirm around a little bit. Oh, thank you, Phil, for running such a great game. <laughs> All right, moving on. I think I think we're wrapping it up. I think we're about there. I mean, it, it feels like um, we've chatted, uh, covering all kinds of things, from hiring to uh, uh, Ask Jeeves and whether or not they were Victorian, um, and everything in between. Um, so, so hopefully, at some point, we'll hear your voice come in, and you'll wrap things up, and then we'll be we'll be done. Cool, so that wraps up this episode of Fish and Scripts. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Phil, for joining me, as always. Mm, I think you did beautifully, by the way, Jack. I think you should be so proud of yourself. Uh, I am. I mean, ge- I mean I'm talking um, about the game, but uh, I mean, in general, of course, as well, but uh, mostly for, for how well you did on that game. Thank you, thank you. And you were you were fine as well this episode. That was good. <laughs> uh, I, li- I like the fact that our, our outros are now just becoming our reviews to each other. Uh, five yeah. stars uh, would listen again. Seven out of ten, not bad. Uh, (laughs) Thank you very much. Uh, If people want more of us, you can find us online at fishandscripts.com. That's fishandscripts.com. And you can also tweet us as well. We'd love any of your thoughts, feedbacks, topics you'd like to hear us talk about, how you did on the game as well. Let us know how you compared to me, probably much better. We are at Fish and Scripts on Twitter as well. So please do come and find us there. You can subscribe to get all your new podcasts and all that stuff on the website as well. So fishandscripts.com for everything else. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.